one of the things that gives, uh, gives me confidence in the Lord we serve is his faithfulness. He does things in a way we can't explain. At about, about 10, 15 years today evening, there will have been no way I think I will have been here this morning. No. However, as I kept asking the Lord, pleading his mercy and goodness, at about 12.01, he made it clear, you stand here this morning. So I'm glad to be here this morning. Let's pray. I'm most eternal and everlasting Father, King of kings, Lord of lords, majestic in all your ways, powerful, compassionate, loving, caring. You are an awesome God. Our minds cannot fathom the depth of your love, your power, your goodness that you show and display to your children. What a God we serve. Father, it is for us a wonderment that we are called your children. This we know we are because you've assured us that we are and that we will be like your son is. So with all these privileges that belong to us, we cannot but join the elect in heaven to say to you, may all glory, honor, dominion, power, and majesty belong to you, for you deserve them. Ours continues to be that wonderment that you can take certain verses like us and render us your children. So, Father, we pray this morning as we recognize that there are members of this local congregation that are sick. This morning we request that you touch your healing hands and heal them, restore them to health so they can come and join in our worship. Again, we thank you for enabling us to assemble here this morning. We do request that God, the Holy Spirit, who is the perfect communicator, will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this morning. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We are still in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 11, where we are dealing with the spiritual gifts. Every now and then I need to remind you that when we study, we study the Word of God, we don't leave anything out. See, we live in a time where everything is driven by entertainment of some form or the other, followed by egocentricity. Everything is about us. And so we focus on how did this passage help me today? Or this morning, instead of asking, how did that glorify God? This is one of the reasons we have the ignorance we have today in the Church of Christ, because pastors have succumbed to entertainment. And so they pick and choose what they think will entertain the congregation, 
And as a result, the 66 books of the Bible are not touched. And you keep asking yourself, now why in the world did God give us all that? If you only wanted us to pick it, it's Evasia, and entertain ourselves. And I believe he didn't want that. He wants us to know comprehensively everything that he has given to us in that world. And that is why there are times we'll go through for a whole period of time. There may be something that may not be immediately applicable to you uh, in terms of whatever your problem is. But you've had enough of dealing with other instructions to help you deal with whatever your problem is. So your uh, responsibility as a believer is to constantly ask the question, how is this lesson glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ? So when we learn, it is so that you'll be able to defend what God has given to us in the scripture. Because you never know when you counter that. Now having said that, remember that again we are dealing with spiritual gifts. That the message we have been dealing with in 1 Corinthians 12-7-11 is that there are several spiritual gifts the Holy Spirit gave for the benefit of the uh, church. Now pursuant to this message we have considered eight spiritual gifts. The eight that we considered in our last study is the gift of tongues as in the phrase of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 10 where it says different kinds of tongues or literally are kinds of tongues. Now because of the difficulty associated with the interpretation of the gift we spent considerable time dealing with it. Now we stated that tongue here refers to both a foreign language and a spiritual language depending on the situation when the Holy Spirit grants the manifestation of the gift of speaking in tongues. Consequently, we stated that the gift refers to the special ability the Holy Spirit gives an individual to speak a language the individual has never known that may or may not be known by others. Now the gift does not necessarily mean that the language spoken be intelligible to the audience, only that they realize it's not their language. Now, our reason for stating that those who hear the, uh, the one with the gift of tongues exercise it may not understand the speaker is because of the ninth spiritual gift that is our concern this morning. The ninth spiritual gift. Apostle Paul mentioned in the passage we are studying is related to interpretation of the exercise of gift of tongues as we read in that phrase of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 10. Look at what it says. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. Now before we comment further on uh, this phrase though, we should point out that without this gift, of interpretation of tongues, the gift of speaking in tongues will not be beneficial to the local church. Now, this is the reason the Holy Spirit, through Apostle Paul, instructs that the gift of speaking in tongues should not be exercised if there is no one 
with the gift of interpretation of tongues in the, in the congregation to interpret what the one with the gift of tongues of authors, as we read in First uh, Corinthians chapter 14, verses 27 and 28. First Corinthians chapter 14 verses 27 through 28. It is, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at most, I mean two or at most three, should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Now returning to the last phrase of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 verse 10, where it says, and to still another, the interpretation of, of tongues, we still want to emphasize what that wider phrase, to still another, is intended to tell us that not every spiritual gift is given to each believer. But that does not mean that a believer could not have more than one spiritual gift. So, I'm going to spend some time just to support that. That yes, a believer can have more than one spiritual gift. Now, the apostles certainly had more than one spiritual gift. Okay, for example, Apostle Paul himself, he had the gift of healing, as demonstrated in the healing of the, a crippled man in Lystra, as we read in Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. And hold on to Acts. We're going to be in uh, the next passage. We'll still be in Acts. So hold on to Acts. Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. It is in Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. That's exercise of the gift of healing. Now the Apostle Paul had the gift of miracles, as evident in the blinding of elements, the sorcerer, as we may gather from Acts chapter 13, verses 9 to 11. Acts chapter 13, verses 9 through 11. It is, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elements and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting 
the right ways of the Lord. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind. And for a time, you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him. And he he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. That is a demonstration of gift of miracles. Because he said, you will be blind. That's So the apostle had the gift of miracles. Now, the apostle Paul also had the gift of prophecy. As evident in his prophetic utterances recorded in his epistles. For example, he states that the Holy Spirit, uh, what he says will occur in the future from the time he wrote that epistle of First Timothy. So we go look at First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 reads, The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. Now that, what I've read here has happened today and it's still happening. That uh, we do find people, uh, a group really that particularly they teach, Men should never marry in order to serve and all that. That is a violation of this prophecy. And Paul, Paul being a, uh, having the gift of prophecy, said that. Now there's other similar thing that he uttered in Second Timothy, chapter three, verses one through five. Now this one clearly. And as we read through, you know, it is being demonstrated where we live today. All of this has been fulfilled, what he said. He says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Is that true today or not? Lovers of money. Is that true or not? Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited. Now that one you cannot. The next one you can understand. Lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Now the one I've 
that's interesting here though is he said, having a form of godliness but denying its power this is one that is very prevalent and many people may not even recognize it because today as I say uh, especially we just talk about our area or here in the south there are many places of worship it's, you know, there are a lot of people there today but when they leave those walls that's the end of it that's why it ends. Because it doesn't impact their life. It doesn't impact them one way or the other. They go, they listen, but when they leave out there, that's it. It doesn't matter to them. That is having the form of godliness, but denying his power. Because if you go and listen, and it doesn't affect you, then you only show you what I do, you uh, a showy type of Christian. You're making a show of whatever it is that you say. Because you go to church on Sunday. You were there. But it has nothing to do with you. As far as you are day-to-day living, it doesn't impact you. And that's what Paul says, denying is power. That's part of it. They make all this show. All this he has said here, have been manifested. Of course, we have the next thing to say, have nothing to do with them. In other words, People who that way avoid them, and you yourself don't be involved in some of the things, uh, all the things has listed in this uh, passage. So, Apostle Paul then had the gift of prophecy. Now, he also had the gift of speaking in tongues, as he stated in First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse eighteen. First Corinthians chapter fourteen verse eighteen. It reads I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So he had the gift of speaking in tongues. So he's telling the Corinthians, I speak in tongues more than all of you. We never had him do it in public, though. <laughs> so we have cited, though, a few examples of the many spiritual gifts of the apostle that prove that a believer could have more than one spiritual gift. Of course, a person, if you are knowledgeable about the scripture, so you may argue that where well, the example we use involve an apostle, and so does not necessarily mean that will apply to any other believer. Well, if so, let me use an, an example of a believer that was not an apostle to demonstrate this truth. The example is Philip, who was chosen as one of the uh, seven administrators of the early church that suddenly had at least three spiritual gifts, at least three. He had a gift of evangelism because not only was he involved in evangelism, but he was described as an evangelist in Acts chapter 21 verse 8. Acts
Acts 21 verse 8 reads, Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, look at the next, the evangelist, one of the seven. So, he had the gift of evangelism. He also had the gift of miracles and the gift of healing. As he demonstrated through his evangelistic work in Samaria, according to Acts chapter 8, verses 6 through 8. Acts chapter 8, verses 6 through 8. You put your marker in chapter 8 of Acts, or then I'll go to one passage and I'll come right back to it. Acts chapter 8, verse 6 reads When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs, that's someone showing the gifts of miracles. Miraculous signs he did. They all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So he had the gift of healing. So there was great joy in that city. But someone may say, well, how are we certain that Philip that you were reading here is not, is the Philip a evangelist and not one of the apostles of Jesus Christ mentioned in Matthew chapter 10 verses 2 through 4. Now again when we study the Holy Spirit enables us to anticipate something somebody may uh, come up with, just like the Apostle Paul did, especially in his writings, especially in the book of Romans. So here we anticipate, some of say, well, how are we sure is that it's not an apostle? Because here we have in Matthew 10, verse 2, reads, these are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip. Some say, how are you sure it's not this Philip? Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. So, how would you defend that? Some say, how can you tell us? It's, you know, he went there to Samaria. It could be this Philip. Well, but we are certain that the Philip that preached in Samaria was not an apostle of Jesus Christ in the sense of the twelve. He was not. How do we know that? Well, this is because no apostle left Jerusalem during the first wave of persecution after Stephen's death. This is according to Acts chapter 8, 
verse 1. Now here is also the thing is you as the Holy Spirit guides us is so we develop the ability to reason, to think. That's one, one, one of the things we're doing here. You, you, you find you, you're able to reason things out based on information as a survival level. So here, we have said, none of the apostles left Jerusalem. Here's the, the proof of it. It says, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. Now, of course, these are one of those things that many times we forget. No matter what we see, God is in control. He's working out his plan, his purpose. Right now, people, you know, just as a side comment, people are so wrapped up what's going on in Israel and so forth. And the Bible says, God says, I am the one that's troubling the nations. You don't get that? I think it's in somewhere in Second, uh, Second Chronicles 15 verses 5 through 6. Yeah. He said, I'm the one that's troubling the nations. I bring all this distress on them because they ignore me. So, here, the church ignored. Now, this is one of those things that I play with you. When you hear the Bible taught, take it serious and try to apply it in your life. Because God has a way to get you to see it. But it's usually going to be through pain. Now the Lord Jesus told the disciples, go and preach everywhere, starting from Judea, Samaria, and so forth. They wouldn't do that. They stayed put in Jerusalem. Hence, the persecution. He sent persecution to them. To scatter them. That's what we're reading here. Because it says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. It broke out. Who caused it? God did that. Then he said, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So here I prove. That is why it says, everyone except the apostles were scattered. So that means none of the apostles left Jerusalem. Therefore, whoever called Philip in Samaria could not be an apostle. Well, furthermore, the Philip that went to Samaria uh, was an apostle. If that Philip was an apostle, then it would have been very strange for the church to send two apostles to Samaria to confirm the work of Philip. As we read still in that Acts chapter 8, look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 reads, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. These are two apostles. So, if Philip there was an apostle, there was no need to send two apostles. So when you put all of that, you can be sure that the Philip we are talking about wasn't an apostle. 
Now we stated though that Philip had at least uh, two spiritual, uh, three uh, spiritual gifts because the three we mentioned are clear from the record in Acts about him. However, we believe that he also had a gift of administration. Being one of the seven administrators of the early church as stated in Acts chapter 6 verses 5 to 8. Acts chapter 6 verses 5 to 8. Oh, no, this is 5 to 6. Let's just 5 to 6. It says, This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, also, Philip, that's a Philip, uh, Prochorus, uh, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Hence then, from everything we've seen now, Philip illustrates that a believer other than an apostle could have more than one spiritual gift. So that means you can have more than one. Now that aside, Apostle Paul implies also that a person could have more than one spiritual gift because he instructs a person who speaks in tongue to request to have the ability to interpret what the person uh, says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 13. First Corinthians chapter 14 verse 13. It is for this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. Anyway, the apostle stays in, in the passage we are studying in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, when he says, and to, uh, to, uh, sorry, to 12, 10, he says, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. Now the word interpretation from, it's really from a, a Greek noun that appears twice in the Greek New Testament. In our passage and in 1 Corinthians 14.26 where it is also translated interpretation. The word refers to translation ability. That is the ability to interpret a language not one's own. Now the Greek now is really related to a Greek verb with two related meanings. The word may mean to explain, to interpret. That is to help someone understand a subject or a matter by making it plain as it is used to describe what Jesus Christ did 
to his disciples after his resurrection as it pertains to the scripture regarding him in Luke chapter 24 verse 27. Luke chapter 24 verse 27. Luke chapter 24 verse 27 reads And beginning with Moses and all the prophets he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. So you can tell that this wasn't like this is not something like an hour. Because if he had to go through a lot of Old Testament scriptures, it must have been some hours that he spent doing that to them. Now another meaning though is to translate. That is to render words from one language to another as it is used to give the meaning of the name uh, Kephas in John chapter 1 verse 42. John chapter 1 verse 42. Here we have Cephas or Cephas. Cephas in John chapter 1 verse 42 being explained. Here it reads, And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. Which, when translated... It's Peter. So Cephas, he has meaning Peter if it's translated. Now, so the meanings of the Greek verb enable us then to understand that the gift of interpretation of tongues is a gift that is concerned with translating or explaining what one with the gift of tongues uttered, so that others will understand what is said. Because when we get to the 14th chapter, become, we'll focus on that clearly, that there will be no need to use the gift of tongues if there's no one to interpret it. It was useless at that point. Uh, I mean, the Holy Spirit tells us that, uh, we'll look at it when we get there. So, all we're saying is then that the gift of interpretation of tongues functions differently depending on the nature of the tongue spoken. Now if tongue refers to a known human language that the audience or the speaker does not know, then the gift of interpretation of tongues functions in a way to translate what was said in a foreign language to the language of the audience so they would understand what the one gifts or one with the gift of tongue just uttered so if however the tongue is of a spiritual nature or ecstatic utterance then the gift of interpretation of tongues function in a way to explain or to make intelligible 
to the congregation the message conveyed by the one who spoke in tongues. So, so then the mention of the ninth gift as that of interpretation of the gift of tongues ends then the apostles' long list of spiritual gifts in his first epistle to the Corinthians. But as we indicated, the list the apostle gave is not exhaustive. Now most of the gifts he listed in this 12th chapter of First Corinthians that we're studying involve those that are spectacular, spectacular gifts. And in that there are those many will recognize as indeed spiritual gifts. Now that's where things get a little bit uh, muddy in a sense because some of us may be walking around and think we don't have any spiritual gifts because we don't have the ones that are spectacular. But the rest are short, like I've said many times, if you're a believer, you have at least one. You have at least one gift. Now, the issue is there uh, the gifts mentioned are those that um, people will want to have in terms of being spectacular. But that's the other gifts that do not involve the spectacular. Just know that. Now they are often the gifts that are quietly applied. Those gifts that they won't even know that you apply them. Now you take for example the apostle mentioned the gifts of help and administration in his second list of spiritual gifts is still in that first Corinthians chapter two of Luke verse twenty eight. First Corinthians chapter two of verse twenty eight. It is and in the church God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, what is it, help others, those with gifts of administration. <laughs> People don't realize it's a gift. Now that's in fact in some this is one of those things. There are believers with gift administration and they are working in what people call secular job, but that doesn't matter. If they are under control by the Holy Spirit, they become one of the greatest administrators. He said, and this, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Now, this verse notwithstanding, the apostle listed a majority of the kind of spiritual gifts that are not usually spectacular in his exercise in his epistle to the Romans in a passage we cited at the beginning of this section of 1 Corinthians 12 that is of course Romans chapter 12 verses 6 to 8 now the thing that um, my interest at this point is simply to emphasize the fact that Yes, you may have a gift. No one ever knows about it. You even may not know about it. It doesn't matter. Because it's not spectacular. 
to people and they are ones that are quietly applied or utilized. See, so here, let's read some of this so you can see some of these kind of gifts. He said, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, now, the gift of serving, you can serve people. You can, I mean, this comes through many ways. You, I can imagine, for example, during our love feast, a woman with the gift of serving will be different from all other women doing the same thing. Or men, whatever. He said, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. That also is an obvious one. If it is encouraging, some of us may have that gift, but don't know that. But somehow you find yourself always confronted with a situation where you have to encourage people from the word, word of God that you've learned. Not everyone does that. But if you have the gift, you will do that. So he said, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. So, see that there's such a thing as the gift of generosity. Not every person is generous in a sense. Even when people, uh, in, in a way, are generous because they're Christians, they want to help others, those with the gift excel all others. Now I say, if it is leadership, so leadership is part of a spiritual gift. Let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So, we are all, as believers, are expected to be merciful to everyone, to show mercy. But if you have this as a gift, you show it in a way that surpasses what every other person does. That's a gift. Anyway, be that then as it may, there is a saying that we can say that the apostle, after listing the nine spiritual gifts that we have considered in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10 that we have just uh, finished, he returns to what he said regarding individual spiritual gifts believers receive that he introduced in verse 7 of that 1 Corinthians 12. But that's not all. He summed up what he said about the nature of spiritual gifts with additional information regarding how each recipient of a spiritual gift comes to possess it. Now we say this because the apostle begins verse 11 with the same Greek particle uh, used in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7. That may be the Greek particle is da or de. That may be used to connect one clause to another, either to express a contrast or simple continuation. But though in certain uh, occurrences the marker may be left untranslated, as adopted here though by some English versions, such as the NIV, that did not translate our Greek particle in verse 11. Now, although it is often translated but, 
in our in the English when there is a perceived contrast between two clauses, but it has other meanings such as now, so or then, when it is used to link segments of a narrative. Now it can also be used to indicate transition to something new. So in our verse, the Greek particle is subject to two possible interpretations. It can be used to indicate or to state a contrast with the meaning but, as done in some of our English versions, such as the New American Standard Bible and the today's English version, among others, regarding this verse 11, where they use the word but. Now, the use of the meaning but, as some interpret it, is to show the contrast between the many gifts and the single source for them all. You want to show there are many, but they all come from single source. If people interpret that with the word but. Another possible interpretation is that the particle is used to resume the thought. The apostle started in verse 7. In which case, it may not be translated. Not really, truly speaking, it is difficult to decide which of these uh, that the apostle will have meant. Uh, this notwithstanding, one thing that is clear is that the apostle summed up what he has been uh, saying about spiritual gifts and their source that he presented in verse 4 to verse 10. And then an added information as how each believer comes to possess the, uh, whatever gift that they have. Now in summing up of what the apostle has been teaching, beginning in verse 4, he emphatically wanted the Corinthians and so all believers to recognize that God is the source of every spiritual gift. As we read in that sentence, where we're studying 1 Corinthians 12, 11. It reads, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. Now, in the English, it may not be readily evident that the apostle is emphatic in this sentence. Because he read it in English. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. Okay. Doesn't tell you it's been emphatic. It's just, okay. But the Greek enables us to recognize that that is the case because the apostle began verse 11 with a Greek uh, I mean Greek words translated into the English as all these all these now you see the English sentence has a fairly fixed word order where the subject precedes the predicate implying that the location of a noun 
in English sentence is important in communicating what is intended in the sentence. Those are things you know people learn grammar school. I mean, when you began learning grammar and all that, to know all the details. Now, so how you place a word in English is important when you're dealing with a sentence. The reason that is really important is because unlike the Greek or Hebrew, English is not an inflectional language. It's not an inflectional language. By this we mean that it is not a language where a change in the form of a word, typically the ending, is used to express a grammatical function or attribute such as tense or mood, person, number, and gender. We don't have that in English, so to say. Now, this means that, for example, if we want to say that the death of Doe was caused by Joe, now we have to say something like Joe killed Doe. Since if we reverse the order, that will change the meaning. We are now Doe will be then the cause of the death of Joe. Thus, it's important in English that the position of a noun be maintained in a certain way according to the rule of uh, Greek, uh, English grammar. On the other hand, though, the Greek is an inflectional language. So, the position of a Greek word is not as important as it is in the English since it is the ending of a Greek noun that determines its function in the sentence. In other words, you can tell whether it's the subject, object. You can even tell whether it's a first person speaking, a second person speaking, just by the ending. That's how it's, it's done in, in Greek or in, in uh, Hebrew. Any language that's inflectional, the old Latin, Anything that is inflectional, then you just, you can toss it any way you want because the person will have to read based on the inflection to decide which, uh, which is which. Anyway, this notwithstanding, generally though, although there's no strict order or rule in the Greek, but generally the word order is such that a, the word that is being emphasized will be placed first in the sentence. But that's not required. But generally when an author wants to emphasize something, the author will put it as the first word in that sentence. So, Apostle Paul began verse 11 with the Greek words translated all these. So once he wrote all these, we know he's been emphatic with those words all these. In other words, it is probably to convey this emphasis that the NIV and a handful of English versions actually began the verse with the phrase, all these. To show, yes, he was being emphatic. 
Now the Greek form indicates that then that the phrase all these, although first in the sentence, is the direct object of a verb used in the sentence of verse 11 in the Greek uh, sentence. Does some English versions reflect the, uh, this Greek understanding? Take for example, the uh, first clause of the New American Standard Bible reads it something like this. But one and the same spirit works all these, all these things. This is the difference. Because they say, but one and the same spirit works all these things. So here they maintain the order in the sense that the spirit, same spirit, working what? That's all this becomes the direct uh, object in this case. So it is in the English, yeah, but uh, that's the way I believe the New American Standard Bible tried to do that. They retained the sense that you use in English. But the NIV retained the sense in the Greek because they want to show that's the emphasis. Anyway, the English reader, though, uh, who takes, uh, for example, the New American Standard, will understand then that the phrase, all these, is a direct object of the verb works used, but will not know that the apostle emphasized the phrase. That's why I always tell people, you know, it's not really the matter of translation per se. Uh, no English uh, version really conveys everything. That's why a pastor must know the original language. So he, he can tell this is emphasized, this is important. So this is so important. He said, all these. So he's making import, uh, emphasis on it. Anyway, as in other words, what I'm saying is, it is because the apostle began the Greek phrase uh, first in this verse with the phrase that we translate all this, lets us know that he wants to put some emphasis. In other words, it is because the apostle then began uh, the Greek sentence with the phrase we are considering, that is the direct object of the verb he used in the first clause of verse 11, that we assert that apostle Paul was being emphatic when he used that phrase, all these of the NIV. So anyway, since he emphasized that word, all these, what does the apostle then mean in that phrase, all these? Why is he putting emphasis on it? Now in our context, all these refers to the nine spiritual gifts the apostle listed in verses 8 through 10. That are the gifts of message of wisdom, the gift of message of knowledge, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the gift of miraculous power, the gift of prophecy, the gift of distinguishing between spirits, the gift of speaking in tongues, and the gift of interpretation of tongues. These are what we call all these. All these. He's putting emphasis on them. All these. 
Now we are careful to state though that the phrase all these in the context refers to the these nine spiritual gifts since what the apostle wrote in verse 11 that we are uh, considering is not limited to the spiritual gifts mentioned in the context but all spiritual gifts. Now what we are saying is since we are studying this passage and the apostles say all these. We are saying all these will be interpreted based on the context. But in the wider context of the New Testament, it covers all spiritual gifts. But in the context we are studying, it refers to those nine. But in the wider context of this uh, New Testament scripture, it refers to all spiritual gifts, those listed and those not listed. As I have said to you, there are some spiritual gifts that are not listed. Nonetheless, we shouldn't recognize that the nine spiritual gifts we mentioned are not all that the phrase all this refers. It includes the various manifestations of the, spirit, of the spiritual gifts mentioned. Now this is the cause of what the apostle already stated in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 6 where we've already started. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 reads, there are different kinds of walking. Different kinds of walking. But the same God walks all of them in all men. See the emphasis. Same God. He's walking. Now, again, the emphasis is he's trying to get us to recognize this that I'm going to keep repeating at the right time. Your gifts. Is you couldn't see a gift as superior to the other person's gift. I'm going to come back to that. Because it's coming from the same God. So, if he gives you a particular gift and gives the other person another gift, he has a purpose. Again, yeah, this, all of this, again, you know what it's all leading to, is to keep us from what I call having a, a fat head swollen head where you think you are something because God has given some kind of gift and so that swells your head and you think you are better than every other person on the planet when in reality it's a gift you have nothing to do with it now just think about it just, just a way to make you think about certain things if you are left to create yourself if I had been left to you, I'm sure some of you say, well, I would have loved my nose, to look, my nose to look like this, my eyes, my ears, and this and all that, right? But it wasn't up to you. God made all that for his purpose, the way he wants you to look like. You didn't have a choice about it. So, why are people making billions and billions of how they, on how they look? Answer? The vanity, the emptiness of the humankind. That's the reason. Vanity. <laughs> because I'm sure that some of this, if many people think like some of us do, they starve. If you depend on that to make a living, you starve. Because I wouldn't come for, with even a free, I wouldn't even come to see whatever it is. So right, that's the thing is, this, some people forget that whatever you have, it's not from you. It's a gift. 
So don't, don't get your hair swollen up at any time. So that's the whole thing that the apostle is emphasizing when it's all these coming from one and the same God. So it's not you are doing, it's, it's the work of God. Anyway, the word work in here is translated from a Greek noun related to a Greek verb in verse 11 that we are considered, uh, will consider shortly. Uh, be that do as he may, it is our assertion then that Apostle Paul emphatically wanted the Corinthians and so all believers everywhere to recognize that God is the source of every spiritual gift. Though we are, like I said, we are focused on spiritual gifts, but I'm saying there are other talents you have in life. Those things are given to you by God. I just, just a talent. God will give to you. So every spiritual gift as is from God. And that's what we have here in First Corinthians 12, 11. It says, all these are the work of one and the same spirit. One and the same spirit. In effect, we are saying then, that all spiritual gifts are from God, without distinction in the persons of the Godhead. Now, we will justify our use of the word God instead of spirit, later. But for the moment we should recognize that the Holy Spirit as God is responsible for the execution of spiritual gifts. It's not surprising, it's not surprising, or it should not even surprise anyone that we state that the Holy Spirit is the one who executes or carries out the various uh, demonstrations of spiritual gifts. Now this is because the scripture reveals that the Holy Spirit is the member of the triune God that executes and sustains what God the Father has planned as well as uh, complete what the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ began. Thus, in the Old Testament scripture, uh, creation was linked to the Holy Spirit as we read in Psalm 104, verse 30. Psalm 104, verse 30. But uh, looking at time, we should take break. And after break, we'll read it. 